to a Hope 103.2 podcast. Last time we were talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 through to chapter 11, verse 1. Here, Paul urges the ancient Corinthian Christians to make sure that their dining habits don't hinder anyone's salvation, put people off the gospel. In the ancient world, Jews could have been put off the gospel by the fact that Christians ate pork and attended banquets at pagan temple restaurants. On the other hand, Greeks could have been put off the gospel um, because Christians might have avoided eating certain foods and avoided eating meals with pagans. Now, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what to do, but he does lay down a principle. Don't hinder people's acceptance of God's mercy. But what Paul states negatively in verse 32, he states positively in verse 33. Not only are we to avoid jeopardizing the salvation of others, we are to actively pursue that salvation. He says, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In historical context, it's not difficult to imagine how a Christian's flexible social life could contribute to the salvation of friends and neighbours in Corinth. At the most basic level, Christians who mix with outsiders are visible and can be observed and quizzed by the unbelieving public. The same is true today, isn't it? Those who most regularly get into spiritual conversations with others are usually the ones with a wide circle of unbelieving friends in the first place. Believers who bring friends and family to church are usually the ones who had dinner with the same people the week before. Then there are the opportunities to talk about Christ. A popular feature of ancient banquets was philosophical discussion. People would talk about the myths of Zeus at a dinner party just as easily as they would gossip about the latest love affair of some Roman senator. This would virtually guarantee any Christians present an opportunity to answer for their faith in Jesus. It's not too different today. Even the most passing spiritual comment at work or the cafe or a party will often spark a whole series of comments on the issue. People invariably feel justified in sounding off about religion, whether or not they know much about it. This can sometimes be annoying, but it also provides believers with an opportunity to quiz their colleagues and friends about how they arrived at their opinions. So next time you're out with friends who don't believe, make a passing comment about your faith and just watch what happens. A visible and audible Christian is one who can be observed and questioned. Now, I don't want to instruct us to go out and wine and dine with sinners. Remember, Paul refrains from offering any rules about these sorts of things. However, I do want to ask all of us to reflect on Paul's teaching and on Jesus' example. Is your social life oriented toward the good of others? Being with them, befriending them, doing good to them, and speaking to them about Christ when the opportunity comes. In short, does your life illustrate the fellowship with sinners God so keenly desires? Max Licardo, in his classic book, No Wonder They Call Him Saviour, relates the beautiful story of Christina, 
a young woman raised in a town outside Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Cristina had always longed to experience the bright lights and party atmosphere of this famous city, but had been warned off by her mother. Unemployment in the city was high, strip joints and brothels were just about the only places offering jobs to young women. Christina didn't listen to her mum. One day she packed her bags and secretly took off to the city. Terrified for what might become of her daughter, Christina's mother set out to find her. She searched the vast city in vain. Fearing the worst, she visited some of Rio's sleaziest establishments. And on the walls of these places, she pinned photos of herself. On the back of each photo, she'd written a simple message to her daughter, begging her to come home. The mum returned home devastated. Christina eventually did end up employed in one of those sleazy joints in Rio. And one day, as she stumbled down the stairwell, she noticed on the wall a photo of her mum. Taking the image off the wall, she noticed her mother's writing on the back. She turned it over and read the words, Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, please just come home. And she did. As Licardo points out, the actions of Christina's mother provide a wonderful picture of God's grace. But for me, this story also offers a kind of allegory for our involvement in the mission of Jesus Christ. The friend of sinners entered the world in search of his lost ones. But the Lord's mission continues on long after his return to glory. Because why? He's left countless photos of himself throughout the world. And those photos? That's you and me. Attached to those images is the message of God's welcoming grace towards sinners. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, please just come home. By what we say and do, we communicate to those around us that the Lord desires the friendship of sinners. We are the means through God's Spirit by which others hear the call to come home to the Father. We are Christ's photos in the world. All of us are wired differently and have different opportunities to convey God's grace to others. We can't die for the salvation of others as Jesus did. And we probably all won't travel the world preaching the gospel as Paul did. We can, though, give ourselves to the same cause, to seek and to save the lost. Following the example of Paul and Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that we do exactly what they did, but it does mean that we live the same kind of flexible ethos, seeking the good of many so that they may be saved. Every aspect of our lives, including our social lives, can and should be directed toward the glory of God and the salvation of our neighbours. Paul underlines this in three words at the beginning of the passage we've been looking at over the last couple of nights. He says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, and so on. Living for God's glory and the salvation of others applies not only to eating and drinking, it applies to whatever you do. That's what Paul says. 
What matters most is not whether we go to this or that dinner party or take up this or that opportunity to speak for Christ. What counts is that our entire existence is informed by the quest to bring honour to God and salvation to others. Paul is not advocating a specialised adjunct to Christian living called mission or evangelism. He is asking us to put on what in my more pretentious moments I call a salvific mindset. That is, an outlook on life that cares deeply about the salvation of others. The Lord is not asking you to be a superstar evangelist who preaches the gospel to everyone you meet. Though if you're wired that way, you go for it. Reaching out to your friends and neighbours is a broad task. It's not an optional extra of the Christian life, like attending an evangelism course or going on an outreach trip or listening to a series of talks on promoting the gospel. It's actually meant to be the orientation of whatever you do, says Paul. This point is going to become clearer as we turn next time to the Bible's specific teaching about our involvement in mission. I hope to show in the rest of this series that promoting the gospel involves just about every dimension of our existence. Our social life, as we've just seen, our prayers, our use of money, our behavior, our conversations, and even our regular church meetings. Far from aggravating the dreaded salvation cringe so many Christians feel, I hope that what follows over the next few weeks will inspire confidence, creativity and commitment as you seek to follow Jesus, the great friend of sinners. Hope 103.2 Thanks for listening.